you tell me? They haven't asked me anything. And you start smoking. Got a light? Got a light? Diane, it's 8.07 p.m. Welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name's Ashley Brandt. My name is Matthew Olson, and joining us today, a special guest, uh, the co-host and producer of Chapo Trap House, Brendan James. Hi, guys. Did I fuck that up? No, not at all. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us <laughs> to talk about part eight, which I suppose was still an hour of Twin Peaks. Yeah, I feel really lucky to get the episode that uh, is, I'll have absolutely nothing insightful or profound or even uh, comprehensible to say about uh, anything that happened. I feel like I would prefer that attitude both for any guests and for myself <laughs> and co-hosts. I don't know how you're feeling, Ashley. <laughs> Are you feeling ready to talk about this? Then like raw confidence after watching this. I don't know. I mean, I'm ready to give you my impressions, but that's about all I'm ready to give you. Great. I saw some, I, I poked around on my lunch break. I saw some wild developed theories. I didn't look at any of those. So I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, I would like to hear what the Reddit uh, theorists or whatever, you know, forum people have already decided because I, I, I didn't look at it. I don't want to poo poo all of it, oh. but some of it very definitely. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, this was, I, I immediately messaged you afterwards because I was like, oh, God, is Brendan still going to want to be on <laughs> Fuck yeah. after this Wait, part? I, sorry, can I say that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, we're marked as explicit on iTunes. Oh, great. Um, and <laughs> then afterwards, I was texting uh, back and forth with you, Ashley, and I was thinking, like, this is the first time since, you know, it's come back since we've started with the return where it's felt kind of fun to be in on the post episode like freak out mm. because a lot of it has recently just been people frustrated with too much Dougie Jones yeah, or, or sort of uh Spacey Cooper and right. frustration. I count with, myself in yeah, that group. Actually. Frustration with not seeing Audrey, th these sorts of things. And finally it was uh last week that broke that trend when people started to read too much into like the flashing windows on mm -hmm. the airplane mm -hmm. um, when they discovered that those were definitely sloppily digitally edited to draw your attention to it. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first hint of it didn't feel right for me because like, oh, codes, that's not what Twin Peaks does. It doesn't like yeah. actually do like Morse code stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was almost like a, uh, a premonition of this week just being <laughs> the Wild West out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the fact that like no red herrings have materialized yet is giving people this sense of false confidence where they're like, I'm pulling all of the strings together. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's how it's going to end. Sure. I don't think you can be a fan of this show and think that every string is going to pull together. No, it's just sort of a question of what is going to be the new set of mysteries and uh, endless debate yeah. for years to come that he'll set up now. And after this episode, I'm worried that those mysteries and the endless debate that will revolve around them might not be the kind that I want. Yeah. But I guess we'll we'll get further into that. We actually start off the episode in a fairly okay, we gotta take cat time here. The cat is getting into a plastic bag. We 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 have this problem on Chapo. This is not I'm seasoned. I'm a veteran of cats fucking up podcasts. So that was take your time. that was in fact incredibly short, so I'm just gonna leave that in. That's just that 
people realness that people come to Twin Peaks Peaks for. <laughs> Absolutely. It's kind of vintage. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Rest in peace, Tigger, the original Twin Ooh, Peaks Peace I cat. I forgot about that. What was I saying? Something about... Uh, you're worried that the debates and the mysteries are going to be not the kind you not want? Not the kind I want, but that's skipping... 30 minutes ahead past a whole nuclear bomb going off. We start the episode yeah. off in, like just kind of right where the last one ended with uh, Cooper's doppelganger and mm-hmm. Ray. Uh, you actually said that this whole sequence reminded you of a particular film. Yes. Uh, probably the first of many comparisons we'll make <laughs> to f- other films. Yeah. Uh, but I, I hadn't heard of it before. What, what oh, were you saying? Yeah. Uh, Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals, which came out in 2016 and was snubbed for the Oscars this past year, but was one of those movies that like I saw and I was like, I feel like I get it. And then I was like, no, wait, I want to watch it again. Um, and it, like the dark like rural road is like a huge part of that movie um but also like playing with expectations um playing with like like masculine fantasy is a big part of that movie um and it felt sort of like that like that sequence was playing in the same space it also felt like the third act of the last movie because it was kind of bookended by nine inch nails i uh i I do want to say this didn't wasn't in my notes and it's one of the things I did for a moment today totally forget that Nine Inch Nails was in the episode as I was thinking about things, which was amazing uh, that I could forget about that. But I also forgot about the moment where Cooper's doppelganger discovers that there's tracking devices in the car and then just kind of uses an app to <laughs> to just disable them and then toss the phone out of the car. Yeah. Like, what? Is that a jailbroken phone? I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think you can get that app on the app store for sure. But I guess, I guess it was supposed to be like taking the signal, piggybacking it off of the phone, and then they're just going to find a broken phone on the side of the road. And or are like they car. tracking that trailer? I have no idea. Does but the work? point is Dougie Jones is free. Uh, Dougie Jones is free? Not Dougie Jones. Bad <laughs> Cooper. Well, he's also free. <laughs> Uh, Theoretically, we don't see him in this episode. We don't see him in this episode at all, which is uh, a first. So, so Kyle's only credited in essence as the doppelganger uh, mm-hmm. in this case, unless he's like, unless he also uh, decided to put on a fake beard at a later point. But um, this is, I'm going to have to cut in as less well versed and de- almost certainly a lot of the season three stuff so far because I've been watching every episode, but not quite um, as carefully as as you guys. As far as doppelganger versus possession is there some kind of hard line about that whether it's silly to think about it as a binary thing or whether there's one there's one answer rather than another i'm i'm leaning towards one answer personally ashley are you feeling sort of set on what you think the rules of it are because i'm i'm leaning because in this one one, we see we see bob like emerge from cooper's body exactly which would imply a possession rather than a doppelganger who is working for Bob or something like that. Yeah, the mechanics yeah. of that are, or the rules of that, I don't know if it's mechanics, are still confusing me. I definitely thought that they were one in the same or very closely linked together. But there seems to be the suggestion that Bob is essential to the doppelganger yeah. in some way, to his mission, but not to his existence, seemingly. My my feeling was always that the doppelganger is, that they, that you run across like when you see Leland Palmer and, so, yeah. and such, like, then you have to ask. Okay, so was Leland a doppelganger when he was when he was killing everybody, or 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 you know? Uh... Here, here's a question that maybe one of you will have a better like snapshot memory of when Leland in the finale of season two says, "I didn't kill my daughter." Mm-hmm. Does he have the doppelganger contact lenses in? Uh, 
or is it shown as Leland? Oh, normal he, no, he has the contacts in. If I'm not okay, mistaken. then this, then this, then this helps inform my opinion of it. But yeah, yeah. he's like um, smiling and he has the mm -hmm. the contacts and he goes, "I no," he says, "I did not kill anybody." That's I did not kill says. anybody. Yeah, but okay. my, but my thing there was that I don't want to get too pretentious about it, but I always felt like that might be a that the doppelgangers you see in the lodge are sort of projections or manifestations of Bob inside of that's, the real person. That's what I used yeah. to think for the longest time. And it was it was shortly before the new show started that I wondered if that might be different. And then I kind of like disregarded that. Uh but the the whole notion of like Dougie swapping places with Cooper uh and the question of whether or not um Cooper's doppelganger is possessed by Bob because we get that scene uh, a couple parts back in the prison where he the looks mirror. in the mirror yeah. and says, good, you're still with me, as mm -hmm. though this is like a, a, a passenger riding yep. along, but yep. that you never see Leland interact with Bob in that sense. It mm -hmm. always seems like Bob is just puppeting Leland. Uh, I Yeah, you're right. He never says anything to Leland. But uh, I mean, I, I guess you could probably find some moments where, 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 where that Let's, well, you can interpret it that way. Let's leave my Sorry, yeah. idea back <laughs> for like what the, because this would actually relate to something that we see later. In exactly. I only bring um, it up because yeah. I, I do remember that last night, that kind of uh, question yeah. rising. I, I, I have a feeling that possession is not the same as having a doppelganger. Uh, Ray confronts, uh, well, okay. Am I wrong? Do people go to take a leak a lot in David Lynch stuff? I feel like they do. I feel like now this, that you brought it up. I feel like, yeah. well, there's the David Foster Wallace essay from when he went on the set of Lost Highway, and there's this extended section where he talks about between takes, David just goes and pisses on a tree, like doesn't doesn't go to the porta potty that's like another like ten steps away. Certainly, just like I'm just gonna relieve myself here. That's and, a transcendental thing, maybe. I mean, David Foster Wallace fixates on this a lot, oh, yeah. which is also like, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember other instances of it. I mean, we also see Dougie uh, struggle in the bathroom early. Well, in the there's season. a line yeah. in the original series where Cooper says, "I really have to urinate." That too, yes. yeah. So, yeah. why aren't more people talking about the theme of piss? That's, a, that's the only thing I came here to talk about. <laughs> I'm taking the show over. It's an all piss show. All right, this is Twin Peaks piss. Yeah, uh, Twin piss this week with just me talking about just, piss. Just Brendan. Thanks for being so open minded to um, let me do it. Yeah. Ray has somehow gotten the upper hand. That gun, whether or not the warden tipped him off at some point, was loaded with blanks. And I did not at least expect this turn. Yeah. Um, I, I was well, taken back by this development. Doesn't seem like the doppelganger expected it either, which no. is a first. Yeah. Right. Um, he's He's been so precise about everything up to this mm -hmm. point. Um, fake bullets seems like a pretty obvious, like, gotcha that you might yeah. prepare for. Anyway. Um, I was shocked by this and then you're not saying that the movie nocturnal animals that this sequence reminded you of it up to the point where we were introduced to all the woodsmen are you okay kind of <laughs> okay is there is there like supernatural stuff happening it's in not that movie? supernatural but it's like psychological um it's it's this really interesting movie honestly everyone should see it it's very um the mood is very similar but there is also this like play with like what is real? What is fantasy? What does fantasy mean, basically? Okay. okay. Well, um, Ray can definitely see these guys and starts freaking the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And then, hey, what's up? It's the Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I, I I laughed out loud at that. I was I was so ready, and I didn't think that we were gonna get a full Nine Inch Nails music video, but that's basically what we got. It um, yeah, you, you. So you're a fan. I'm a fan of Nine Inch of that Nails. Sequence. And you know, I knew he had done uh, work with David Lynch before, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Lost Highway in particular. And so I I it, I wasn't that surprised. Yeah. But it had been in a lot of new. It, it had been so far a lot of indie new newish yes. bands, and so I was actually quite. Uh, pleased to see it was uh, an older right and and goody an oldie and a goodie. Bef- before we knew that bands were going to just appear in the roadhouse throughout the the show like there were musicians listed in the cast list and people were like oh they're gonna like have roles right. in the show like yeah. what's trent reznor right. gonna do in the show uh but i was wondering after the introduction of the bands like are they just gonna are they just gonna go there is nine inch nails gonna play <laughs> <laughs> the Roadhouse, but it's a different band. They've got a they've got a article in front, so they're a different band. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's canon. That's canon now. <laughs> it's not the same. It's actually a cover band, and that's why uh, you know why that uh, wasn't even Trent Reznor. They just got sunglasses over. There. Yep. Um, Ashley, you said you're coming around to Nine Inch Nails now. Can you please explain? Okay, I didn't say I was coming around to Nine Inch Nails. I said I have accepted Nine Inch Nails. So you've you've fully gotten to this point. I just feel like if if Trent Reznor is going to keep scoring Christopher or David Fincher movies, Mm. sorry, I have no idea who I'm talking about apparently. If he's going to keep scoring David Fincher movies, if he's going to be making appearances in Lynch films, like, fine. Nine Inch Nails is high art. I accept it. I accept that I have to like it now. <laughs> well, so what's your previous experience with with Nine Inch Nails? Okay. Not Quake, right? No. Um, <laughs> so there was a brief period of time when I had an Ambien prescription, and this is my this is my longest exposure of Nine Inch Nails to date. When you take Ambien, you're supposed to go to bed immediately. You should not do anything else because you're not in control of your faculties at all, mm-hmm. even though it feels like you are. Mm-hmm. So I started watching Nine Inch Nails YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, this is really funny. This is ironic. And I'm going to Snapchat everyone this experience and everyone's going to get the joke. No one got the joke. There was absolutely no context and no one replied to those snaps. Were you mentally okay while that was while you're watching Nine Inch Nails on Ambien? <laughs> I was having a great time. Okay, great. I thought it was really funny. I don't know why. Did you know that there's a was was the show called Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah. Uh, where Nine Inch Nails was the subject of one of the stories. No. Uh, what? For the the video for Up Above It, it's off it's off Pretty Hate Machine. Oh um, yeah, uh, yeah, Up Above It. Yeah, they uh, they wanted to do this shot where they had Trent like they, they made him up to look like he'd been shot or something and then they just attached a Super 8 camera pointed straight down and had it go up on a weather balloon mm. and then they weren't able to find the weather balloon like when it touched down and it ended up touching down on like a farmer's property like miles and miles away the farmer thought that they <laughs> received a snuff film uh, and the police were investigating it as like oh, evidence awesome. of like a, an unknown murder, and they were like, they figured out like, oh, okay, it was over in the city, and then it was just like, yeah, no, that was that was Trent Reznor and his friends. So you can watch this Up unsolved to his old music video snuff film hijack. I would not want to watch. I think any Nine Inch Nails video, at least any of the good ones, like on any kind of substance. I don't think. I'm glad you had fun. I guess. I'm glad you thought <laughs> it was a nice bit. Are, are you are you saying you never liked them? And you were ironically watching them when you were on Ambien. Yes. And so now you have to accept them because you don't like them. 
Yes. Right. Okay. Now yeah, Ashley is going to start collecting yeah. and and not refer to the albums by their names, but by what is it? I Halos. I haven't <laughs> noticed any of this stuff he's done for David Fincher movies. Um, he did that Social much. Network, right? He did Social, Social Network, Network and good? Gone Girl oh, and yeah. uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, I didn't watch any of those. They're good soundtracks. I'm yeah. really into film scores, so okay. I guess it was a slow burn to accept Trent Reznor into my life. Yeah, but you like the scores, but you don't like his band. I've heard like three Nine, nine Inch Nails songs. Yeah. I've heard... Including Hurt. the one last night. Yeah, yeah, I've heard Hurt. I've heard that other one that... <laughs> Closer, probably. Yes, yeah. that's the one. This one, and I've heard uh, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. Yeah, that's, that's technically a third one. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just reminds me, I was thinking about Nine Inch Nails today, and then I remembered that there's a great video of the Johnny Cash cover set to... Guy Fieri just eating things, <laughs> and that's oh I've seen that, and that's one something you should never watch on Ambien probably. Yeah, two, that'd be way more horrifying. Two, that has kind of the same initial like visceral response in my body as watching parts of tonight's uh, episode of Twin Peaks did. So you know, getting us back we on go, track. We go from Nine Inch Nails to the Atom Bomb. Yeah. Well, they just in between that, there is a shot of Cooper waking up. Whether yeah. that's Bob Cooper, it looks like it probably is, but it it just shows him getting exactly. Up, and just that body the... is not is not dead. Uh, yeah. Which also we also see Ray gets on the phone with whoever uh, yes. he thinks Philip. Yeah. yeah. Is Philip Jeffries? We're assuming uh, says yep. he's going to go to the farm, which he had discussed with the doppelganger, and they he drives off. Um, he's probably not long for this world. Yeah. <laughs> no. Nope. Guessing. Well, because he he was like, well, he knows where I'm going. Why don't you just change your destination yeah. if you know that he the says, Walking I'll get Dead him there if he comes for me there? Well, so yeah, who knows? Who farm. knows what the farm is? Maybe maybe they got some anti fucking terrifying magic being like <laughs> guns to bust know. out. No, like <laughs> guns didn't stop him. Like what's gonna? This is the end of the line for Ray. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah. Ray doesn't know that Cooper uh, stood up again or sat up, but he just he, assumes he knows he got some got, got some help some is how help. he processed yeah. that. Yeah. And he is, uh... saw something in Cooper, yeah. which he feels is key, which we think is Bob is what he saw. Yeah, yeah, whatever that like. No, it was definitely Bob. Messy yeah. Bob face tumor looking thing was. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, um, it was related to him. Uh, but then shortly thereafter, Adam bomb. This was. I really liked this. this. I don't know if I liked I everything else, but I loved this, this part. This whole part was beautiful. Yeah. Now, I don't know how, but in the process of like doing this podcast and upkeep and like checking in on season three news, uh, while the secret history of Twin Peaks came out and so forth, at one point I read somewhere something about Atom Bomb, and I was like, did I just get spoiled on something like super big? Then. Mark Frost's book came out. There's mention of the atom bomb test in White Sands. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe, maybe not. And then by the time we saw Gordon's office with that yeah. big yeah. picture, I was like, that's all it was, right? Like, that's that's all right. they were talking about nukes for, right? It's just like, oh, he's got the bomb and Kafka in his office, not knowing that it was basically both of those were foreshadowing part eight uh, in a big way. Uh, yeah, I thought the whole slow sequence and i forget the name of the piece of music um uh it was it was, it was written in response to um hiroshima actual, yeah attacks at hiroshima it was very kubrick yeah like I, I don't was. think the movie was was pendresky but it sounded kind of like pendresky it, it, no that's what it was yeah it was yeah, yeah, yeah it was sorry yeah, yeah you, you got you got it i shouldn't one. have uh, second guessed myself uh it was yeah and then it looked very strange love and and like that kind of um yeah, slow 
dread laden uh yes. close up was was really and anybody just just an aside anybody who's been like man like they they've been fucking up the special effects like david lynch doesn't care about making stuff look good in computers is like yeah it's proven it, by the sequence yeah it's yeah. it's clearly he doesn't always want it to look sublime because yeah, that looked sublime like yeah. he was able to do that uh i mean flawlessly and very just like just beautifully as, yeah. as nasty mm-hmm. as, as it was as, as like panic inducing as well like when once we were like close half the distance towards the the mushroom cloud i was like i could feel my heart racing going like shit 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 um so so you uh brought up the kubrick connection as well ashley i did yeah. um <clears throat> lots of 2001 ish parts in the the there's it, oh, yeah. it, it, it yeah. feels like it cuts between like david lynch art films and then parts from 2001 almost yeah. yeah well i would also say it reminded me a lot of terrence malick's tree of life and there's a sequence in there where he does like 10 minutes of like the big bang and then like dinosaurs um and it's very like atmospheric and it's very much like about the creation of life but it it like this sequence like takes its time it's not trying to be deliberate it's a, it's a mood kind of um and i think that this sequence like as uniquely david lynch as it is seems to borrow from yeah. that tradition yeah there's um there was a bunch of low budget experimental films from like the 70s or something that my um my teacher in high school showed me and i i wouldn't i'm, I'm not smart enough or have uh, a good memory enough to remember who it was but the whole uh as you just mentioned switching between the more obvious footage of explosions and fire and stuff to then the kind of little sparkles and the kind of like tinfoil stuff yeah. moving around that those parts were very reminiscent of like old style film schooly kind of low budget stuff that he was probably doing around the time he did Eraserhead. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. Stuff I like mean, that. the, uh, there, there's one particular like sequence of shots in this where you've just got these stark white, uh, uh, little sparkles floating yeah. around the black background. That's like almost an exact duplicate of a shot from Eraserhead, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. during that. And also now I understand, like y- you can, you can, get tired of hearing David say things like, oh, you can't watch shit on phones or on laptops. It's not the same Mm. experience and so forth. But this is the first time where I'm, you know, just having it streamed live via the Showtime app on my little laptop. And I'm just going like, yeah, the compression is just fucking killing part of like the impact of this. Um, But the part in particular, the... There's a lot of eraser head in this this reboot. Most of it being black and white, this part (laughs) uh, feels like Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and I I won't go into all of it, but I thought this was yet another dipping, and especially in the bit we're about to go into. Totally. Um, I I do want to say, so so some of the initial reaction to this, and I I guess we'll talk about it more later, has been people just sort of rejoicing, being like, amazing that Showtime paid for this, amazing that finally someone's breaking television and, and... bringing it into the the field of art house film and something beyond and like prestige television still hasn't like had the shackles off like this and and been like had the curse to do this. And it's like, this is stuff that we're talking 2001 is an old ass fucking film. Like these filmic experiments as amazing as they are, as amazing as the sequence was, it's not like it was invented from a whole cloth right here and there. And it's not, I, I, I can't think of examples off the top of my head but I'm sure this isn't people, the first. I think people are right that it's not typical TV, though. Certainly, films, yeah. film, oh, yeah, yeah, old news. But like, I don't know if Showtime thought they were going to be paying for this. I just, I certainly think, given the the behind the scenes stuff, they didn't think yeah. they were going to be paying for this. But um, 
I don't know if it's that much of a stretch. I, I, part part of it is like people being like, "Praise Showtime for this." And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> they, they don't they, deserve. They get very little credit. Yeah, yeah. the credit for this. Um, I think it's really like the duration of the sequence that sets it apart. Like I think yeah. like Noah Hawley on FX could do this in three minutes, and yep. then FX would be like, "Cut a little bit of this. Let's yep. keep the pace here." But the We're fact gonna take that away it... your After Effects <laughs> license, yeah. Especially because in the not to interrupt, but especially uh, what underlined it was there. You did have about ten minutes of narrative plot mm-hmm. in the beginning, and so it kind of set you up to feel like this was going to be some kind of interlude or some kind of weird break, and then mm-hmm. you'd get back to the action by the at least mm-hmm. the the end of the episode, if not halfway through. But it never came. I mean, yeah. you had a a different story develop and everything, but that also was very slow and very um uh deliberately yeah. laid out and i think that probably threw a lot of people as well mm-hmm. yeah but it, to me it didn't feel like it dragged like i was no, surprised by how far we were into the episode when this right. ended yeah uh so so after after we're sort of inside the blast yeah. uh we we get a lot of images some familiar some not we see the uh soot ghosts the the woodsmen and as we brought up off mic before we started recording, they're wearing blackface. They're wearing blackface. It's that's just how I. I mean, I, I originally wasn't sure if they were or not, but like, yeah, I don't know. I that's, don't know what else to call that. That's it's it's black makeup on for for most of those actors. I'm assuming white skin. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, we said it. We acknowledge it. We're not looking past it. But I mean, it's not like traditional blackface no. like performance, but it is like that's that's how he's chosen to represent these yeah. characters. Yeah. And maybe we'll learn more about that aesthetic choice. Maybe we won't. Um, it's certainly with the uh, the contrast and, and the nighttime setting of a lot of these shots makes them that much more terrifying, I think, because you can't actually like you're, you're trying to squint to make out any features yes it helped like they're all actually kind of different builds but they kind of then look like a like a cohesive group even more so because you just can't actually like yeah. focus and pick apart differences i'm sure you guys have remarked on this before but ashley as you said before we started taping like it's very uh mahal and drive mm-hmm. you know that yeah. that's what i kept uh assuming that that like it was almost going to be the exact same face yeah, or actor yeah. on, on each one of them. I kept waiting for Bonnie Aarons to show up. Right. We got to talk about the, like the the guy who gets the most screen time as one of these ghosts though cuz yeah. the his backstory is amazing. But we see a convenience store. Mm-hmm. Obvious connection there. Mm-hmm. Uh the the but there's no room above it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which, is, which I thought was weird. It could still work and obviously this is pretty sh- pretty clearly what it's supposed to be referencing but. yeah mm-hmm. I, I i i also have an idea about that that maybe no <laughs> i've got all i'm the one who secretly has the, the best theory no um i'll say this I, I i appreciated and noticed the 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 one story convenience store and i was like okay but if what we're getting here is sort of an origin and also like physical spaces you don't actually physical space doesn't mean anything in twin peaks like yeah, this is oh, yeah. Yeah, settling yeah, yeah, yeah. upon this convenience that, store. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can't see if. if yeah, I mean, it's floor. in White Plains or White Sands, New Mexico. Like, is it? I, I don't know. It's all the same convenience store. Right. In exactly. A sense. Um, that that sequence starts with the the choppy uh, opening mm-hmm. closing door, which uh, feels reminiscent of Eraserhead and older Lynch stuff. But then, as the as the uh, woodsman ghosts start to file in, uh, and the and the the smoke pours out of that door. It goes back to the part from part three um, in the pink place uh, before Cooper escapes that socket where you're just playing with like digital scrubbing 
And this has been like the one thing that if I'm going to gush about anything stylistically that Lynch has done, mm-hmm. uh, Lynch and his creative team have, have settled upon in the new shows. It's I love this playing with like the, the nature of digital um, mm, video yes. uh, because one, there's always that part in your brain the moment he starts doing it where you're like, is my stream messed up? Yep. Um, <laughs> but also it, it speaks to understanding like what the, the nature of this medium is and how yeah. it's different from film in a way that other people will will do, but they'll do it like in a kind of hammy way. Mm-hmm. I just watched an episode of the X-Files where uh, they, they do like a digital like tape uh, mm. haze effect to show that like people are like losing their minds. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is just playing with like literally just picking the little yeah. pin yeah. And, and scrubbing well, it back and forth. I remember when Inland Empire came out, I remember reading him talking about how excited he was to work on digital yeah rather than film and how it freed him up and i i i think the stuff he's always done on film was really beautiful so i was hoping he wouldn't like fully just become obsessed with that sort of thing but you saw a lot of it in this i just one other thing i was going to say that it did remind me of is did you know that cigarette ad he did i saw it just last night someone brought it up i i i I don't think it's identical, but the scene where they're all filing in and out of the convenience store and they're kind of like wandering aimlessly mm-hmm. reminded me of the. Yeah, um, do you want to bring it up and just yeah, play sure. it? Yeah, sure. I'll play it for you so guys. That, uh, I haven't seen Ashley it. Ashley can so. see it. Yeah, this is a. This is the, of, of David's commercial work of the, any of them I've seen, and I can't believe I hadn't seen this before. This is the most like, oh, David Lynch made this, right? Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know when this was. It was probably in the 90s, um, yeah. may, maybe late 80s, uh, and it's for the. Uh, uh, I don't know how, how exactly Parisian? pronounce it. Parisian? Parisen? Yeah, either Parisen or Parisian people's cigarettes. Um, but yeah, so that that was in the back of my mind mm-hmm. throughout that whole sequence, which was long. Yeah, uh, and and I think appropriately so, because did, did you notice on first watch that it, it says it in pretty small type that it's the convenience store, right? Like if you're... If you're focusing on other parts of the scene, you could, it could even Yeah, I noticed by, on so. uh, my second watch. Yeah, so like it's important to to hold on these things too because mm-hmm. you're being assaulted with a lot of imagery. People notice like stacked cans in the window and people are immediately going like creamed corn, garmambosia, yeah, of course, yeah. like that. So I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh it's it's just silhouettes and it could obviously be that, but mm-hmm. you might not see that your first time. Then we get another lavish CG shot of what appears to be uh, the monster from the glass box in part yes. one, and you get a bit of a clearer look at it, and you can see that its head shares a resemblance with the figure drawn on that ace that uh, mm. Cooper's doppelganger shows in part two, I believe. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it vomits up some stuff, including some little eggs and mm. one that has Bob's face. It looks like the same thing that gets pulled out of the yes, doppelganger. Yes, exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, what do you think that is? What's going on, guys? Um. If everything else, we can kind of be like, oh, well, it reminds me of this or that. Like, that is the thing that, like, I just can't even begin to. To me, the most sense you can make out of it is not in an individual shot and trying to think of what that yeah, what that event is necessarily, but the entire sequence that we're sort of in now where, um, okay, for whatever reason... We've seen Cooper, Cooper Bob get shot. Mm-hmm. We then see him resuscitate. Whether or not what happens next is in chronological order, obviously it's not in the very beginning because we go back to 1945. We then see a nuke, and then the creature throw up Bob. Yeah. So something is happening in which 
I assume that blob is, well, maybe it's not happening after the events of the first 10 minutes. Maybe that's the first time Bob is entering Earth or something. That's the big question, right? Is this the origin of Bob or or is what we're seeing taking place in the past sort of a continuation of the first, you know, 10 minutes worth of events we saw just now? Yeah. Um, And the time is not always linear, so we have no idea. mm -hmm. Uh, But then we enter that purple planet or whatever and then there's another ball so like the interplay between seeing bob appear and then those two characters which i know you'll mention in a second see that and then send another little orb as a response to that exactly that's the clue that like looking at it as a whole is the most sense you can make or in my opinion about what's going on where there's some kind of implication that laura palmer is offsetting Bob in some way, whether that's after she's been killed or before she was even born or whatever, uh, that's the most I could I could make out of that scene. Yeah. Does that does that all square with you, Ashley? Yeah, I mean I think the juxtaposition of the bomb and then kind of the the mushroom cloud imagery and then this kind of bubbles, whatever is Mm. viewing from this like being, like that juxtaposition to me seems to speak to the idea that Bob has been created out of the atom bomb, which mm-hmm. for the past like century, like we as a culture and as like humanity have been talking about the atom bomb and how there's kind of no turning back. And that's kind of one of the yeah. greatest crimes we've committed against ourselves. Yeah, we're all bastards now, et cetera. Is that the quote? I'm going to say it's the quote. I don't know so, if no, that's the quote. I don't quote. know if that's a quote. Uh, I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Not that one. There's a, there, several guys what, had things to say about uh, uh, how fucked up the creation of the atom bomb was. Yeah. Um, but that's the good one. That's the best one. That's obviously. the good one. That's from the Bhagavad Gita. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we, we go to the, the pink place after this uh, uh, up chucking, I guess. And rather than seeing, I mean, maybe it's the same place that we pan up to, but we basically pan up to a castle on a rock uh, mm-hmm. where we meet Senorita Dido, she is credited as, played by Joy Nash. And then we also see our question mark friend, formerly known as the Giant, who we'll just call the Giant. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's Carl Striken. Um, yeah. And I noticed he's wearing now, in this whatever version of himself, um, an outfit that's a lot more similar to his earthly old man doppelganger in the hotel yeah. where mm-hmm. he has that kind of over, over overwrought um, bow tie look and, uh, you know, c- sort of concierge dress. Mm-hmm. Right out the gate. Like we do actually, we, we get an answer here, which is right at the beginning of the return. We have that scene between the giant and Cooper shot in black and white. And it's definitely this place. Yeah. So the photograph that, and everything. Yeah, it definitely wasn't the lodge. Great. We or what we think of as the lodge, the red room. Great. Mm-hmm. So that's that's settled. The relationship of like the giant's home to where Cooper ended up in part three, and then the kind of like spaceship he ended up on top of with a very similar looking bell device. Who who knows? But they're related somehow. So like anyone who says nothing happened or like only strange stuff happened in this part. Like we got some yeah, there are a yeah. lot of in. callbacks to things we've already seen. Um, the piece of music that's playing on the phonograph initially is actually written by uh, David Lynch and Dean Hurley. Um, I did notice that. And it's they they've retitled it, but it's available on an old album. But then we also get what's definitely some new Angelo music in the theater mm-hmm. where they see uh, the footage of the atom bomb and then some more like really beautiful visual effects going mm-hmm. on. The theater part I, I thought was 
I almost thought was actually going to be Club Silencio. Yes. Because the, mm-hmm. the little balcony that was there yes. where you see the blue, the lady with the blue hair at the end of that movie. I thought, is this actually just going to be that? But it wasn't <laughs> quite that. We, we, had a we've serious... got Silencio. We've also got the theater in Eraserhead where yeah. the, the woman sings uh, the song, which I can't remember the lyrics. Oh, of. the lady from the, the radiator. She, yeah. Also, yeah. this this I don't remember the character's name you just said, but, but the woman who's next to the giant in this scene, she... Um. Gave me very yeah. Lady in the Radiator vibes. Senorita so. Dido. Um, yeah. And yeah, this this sequence uh, c- combined with Angela's music, like now I'm definitely of the opinion that overusing Angelo's old themes or having him score every inch of this would have been maybe too much because it's mm-hmm. great when it's deployed mm-hmm. very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we've got this gold blob yeah, Looks yeah. like it's mm-hmm. got Laura's face in it. Uh, I have bookmarked here in um, the Secret History of Twin Peaks. So, so you don't know about uh, the the ins and outs of this this book, Brendan, right? Yeah, yeah. I was curious if you guys could tell me a little bit about you know what 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 exactly it does and if it's good. It has it has a lot of bearing. I I liked it. It was a fun read. Um, it's it's not like a conventional novel with a beginning, middle, and end. Really, yeah. it, it kind of hinges on who's writing this thing and then who's the FBI agent who's then like commenting on this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person who's writing it is Dougie Milford of all people. And then uh, agent, uh, not agent Briggs, major, uh, Briggs. major Briggs. And then the agent who's writing it is a uh, writing over it and researching into it is Tammy. Uh, Christabel's character. So it's Mark Frost's whirlwind tour of, uh, American conspiracy theories. We did a whole episode on it, so if you're interested, mm-hmm. listeners, you can go back to that. But we didn't. We thought it was like two hours long that episode, and we couldn't touch on everything because this book is dense. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a reference to Jack Parsons, who is a, a real ass person who worked at the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab, or was it even called NASA then? I don't think it was. No, it wasn't called that then. But he's also mostly known for being an occultist and for palling around with L. Ron Hubbard, who slept with his wife. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Miss, it's uh, that okay. guy. <laughs> so Elrond. before Elron Hubbard kind of took his dip into the occult and then started Scientology, he uh there was a period where he was just like just a sci-fi writer and and mm. was more buttoned down. And so there's a fictionalized conversation here between Elron Hubbard and Jack Parsons where Jack Parsons talks about alchemy. Uh and I I guess I will quote a little bit of it. Um Alchemy isn't only about chemistry or turning base metals to gold. The medieval philosophers and alchemists knew this. Even Isaac Newton knew it, but their knowledge was lost until Crowley brought it back. Talking about Aleister Crowley. Uh, Mm -hmm. You see, alchemy actually speaks to internal processes and a radical revolution in our spiritual development, transforming the base metal of primitive man to the gold of an enlightened soul. So... I'm always saying that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my whole mantra, right? Um, This is so weird. As you said that... I just got a text from a friend who's visiting California saying just passing the Scientology Center. OMG. Spooky. Um, I'm never coming on the show again. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what Twin Peaks will do to your life. Yeah. Um, you don't need to dig too deep into this like this history and, mm-hmm. and conspiracy and, and belief systems and so forth to go like, okay, alchemy, gold, like we can get some of the imagery here. Mm. I will say like gears and like actual machinery was a little too steampunky for my taste. Yep. Not my oh, in, 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 the, in the scene last night. Mm-hmm, yeah. I didn't like that. And I'll, no. I, if, if I, if I'm permitted a, a little bit of my Debbie Downer segment later, totally. about why, why I'm more critical than I, I thought I was going to be about this whole reboot. 
Um, that's one example of something where I'm like, why does it have to be? Why is it a big tuba and there's <laughs> gears and like the the whole the, the these different avenues he's he's obviously interested in yeah. in going down now um, sometimes sometimes rub me the wrong way and yeah, yeah. I, that was one part of it I didn't like I thought it just could have been a little bit more you know um, it looks like a Looney Tunes cartoon yeah at, really at, at least the the giant then didn't pull out his like super cool goggles before he started expelling <laughs> yeah. like his his golden soul essence yeah. you know yeah. uh, and put on Sometimes a fucking is, trilby hat less is more David. Um, <laughs> but the the significant thing is he is creating this golden orb which we've kind of seen before seemingly come out of the explosions and it has Laura's face and this is mm-hmm. put directly in juxtaposition to the giant's viewing of the creation of Bob, what we think of as the creation yeah. of Bob. There's also the, a smaller little gold ball that is Dougie. Dougie's being housed right. in. Right. Yes. So and, some kind um, of soul there's thing the, there. There's a scene in um, uh, season two where the giant appears to Cooper and then seemingly transforms into like a golden ball of light yep. and then flies into Cooper. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Which in the 1990s special effects would not look exactly the same, but you can make a connection there too. Uh, like this isn't all coming out of left field. If anything, with this scene and seeing Laura's face in the orb is when I started to worry like, oh no, are we going to start over explaining this as a cosmic like battle yes. between good and ah. evil? And my first concern, I guess question that I want, definitely wanted to pose this episode is like, if if this is the direction we're going in, a sort of larger good versus evil narrative, will this cheapen the mm-hmm. actual personal, uh, deeply affecting story of Laura Palmer, particularly that we get in in sure. the movie? Is that um, what you meant before about worrying about what kind what of? This I is guess gen- generally, like like this show wants to bring everything back to Laura. I guess that would be the kind of thing that I'd be worried about it ruining is is undercutting or cheapening that story. Yeah. Um, by mm-hmm. making it more fantastical in in its trap. That's interesting. I, I I I sort of came with some thoughts about that. I don't know if you want to go to the end of the um thing with the the desert and the frog. Oh, and everything. Let, let's talk about it now if we feel okay. comfortable. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, certainly one of the things that I've been uh that's been tugging at me watching the the new series is that it hasn't felt like a show about Laura Palmer, and I've been annoyed at that. I. I before I started warming on on these episodes recently, I was ready to just say that I don't think it should have been made at all. I'm still the jury's still kind of out mm-hmm. for me on whether this should have been made. But I think that when you lose actors and actors become old, mm-hmm. and you're then dealing and working with resources that are obviously so much more limited than when you originally planned to tell this story, um, you have to make concessions in the storytelling and in the focus and even maybe the actual point of the art. And this has been so far a really, really Cooper heavy series. And I get why that is on the surface. I mean, he was the most iconic character. Everyone loves him. Kyle MacLachlan's great. But I mean, especially compared to the place that Lynch was taking the mythology with Fire Walk With Me, which had very little Cooper, which we also know is because Kyle MacLachlan didn't want to be typecast and overexposed as, as that character. This just feels like, well, Cheryl Lee is older now. She can't play the younger version of herself. Frank Silva is dead. And a lot of other stuff has happened uh, in between. So this is going to have to now be a show about Cooper getting back to Twin Peaks, as the Showtime head said. And yeah. I think so far that's been proven accurate. It is does seem like it's mainly about that. 
And I just am so much, I'm just so much less interested in that than I, than I am in what I thought was going to be a more, um, a, an even deeper uh, dive into Laura Palmer, Bob, and whatever is happening in that Black Lodge that Fire Walk With Me sort of promised. So the, the scene last night, I was almost, even with the stupid Looney Tunes imagery, I was kind of glad about because I, I want to know where, where Laura is and what's going on. She's been brought up a lot, but this is, if anything, at least we know that we're nowhere near done with that story. Whether or not the direction it goes in is what we want it to. I mean... I feel like you and I actually have been pretty positive on it, especially like I feel really positive on how they've incorporated uh, actors who have aged a lot or in the case of Catherine Coulson, particularly like were were sick during the time of filming mm-hmm. and glad to have it as like a a tribute to them and to actually have their characters be there and have that passing of time acknowledged and, and dwelled on in a good way. But I kind of feel like maybe some of what people could have in terms of like pacing frustration so far could absolutely be about working around Frank Silva and Cheryl Lee and any of these other absences, even, even Michael Anderson being yeah. too toxic to work That's with. the one thing I was actually, I was totally down with how they handled <laughs> totally. that. I, I thought that was great. I was uh, totally like, nope, that's fine. He can yeah. be a big brain tree. Yeah. That's completely fine with Ashley, do you, do you feel like you're getting what you want out of the story right now? I feel like talking about Laura in the last episode felt good and refreshing. And I was glad that like, as much as she felt like a footnote for the people of Twin Peaks who were talking about her, like I as a viewer was glad that we hadn't completely forgotten about her tragic death. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you were saying, this kind of like positioning of Laura as some kind of like cosmic pawn or like not a person with her own agency or maybe not the story that we knew from Fire Walk With Me, like that I think is a little disappointing because we've talked so much about like why I like Fire Walk With Me particularly like going into Laura's grief and trauma and like making her this like person with agency um, and like really centering the story around like her in Fire Walk With Me, I think was like really effective. And I think we're moving farther away from that by mythologizing her as I don't know, this like response to Bob, this cosmic good, like she, I, I think should be a flawed person. Like she wasn't mm-hmm. firewalk with me. To me, it does sometimes feel like, very obvious that things are happening in this third season in order to accommodate, in order to accommodate his limited creative options. Yeah. Like I said mm-hmm. before about cast members being gone uh, and so forth or being older. Other times it's clear to me that uh, it feels clear to me that this is his chance to do a bunch of shit that has nothing to do with Twin Peaks because he knows he's been given a blank check by Showtime basically mm. on the back of an extremely successful cult hit. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I've felt as though some of these plot and there are so many plots happening at one time, and there's this gray monster, and there's this New York, and I like all those scenes a lot, mm-hmm. but I couldn't help but feel like was this something he had sketched out a couple of years ago that he wanted to be its own thing, maybe, and then said, uh, "Where am I going to use that?" And now it's in a Twin Peaks reboot. I've sometimes gotten a little bummed out about how this is more of a hodgepodge than maybe fans want to admit. Even in terms of just, you know, stylistic notes and callbacks, like to Lynch fans, 
seeing callbacks to Lynch's films old and then post Twin Peaks are that's like, totally exciting, but it doesn't matter to Twin Peaks fans that like, oh, we're seeing these parallels to like Mulholland Driver Racerhead necessarily. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's not what they came here for. And if we think about this as David getting another crack at, you know, playing with the the tools he likes to employ, possibly like with the last, you know, ba- great big creative gasp he's going to do before he just, you know, decides to paint until he mm-hmm. until he fades into the night. I don't know. Which is what he's been doing so far. I mean, he hasn't yeah. made yeah. a movie since Inland Empire. Yeah. Exactly. Like if we think of it that way, you know, that is like self-indulgent and that will appeal to a, a Lynch fan, but not necessarily someone like the people who are like, where's Audrey? You know, that's that's not going to work for them. But I'm tentatively okay personally myself with mm-hmm. any move taken to get closer to Laura. I just think you're absolutely right, Ashley. Like, if the way this grand cosmic narrative works out suggests or starts to pull away from Laura's uh, actual character and her agency, that'll feel really shitty. But as we said, we don't know exactly how this timing is working. Like, if you want to bring Shirley back in like in the physical space as someone who exists in a sense after all of the events we've seen up till this point, this is a way you could do it. I was going to say something we've talked about on the show before oh, sure. that I think kind of like Mary's like your concerns with something we've been discussing is just like, is the Lynch we know a product of editing and of specific constraints forced upon David Lynch by networks and by production companies. Mm-hmm. And so like, one kind of like feeling I have is like we've talked about this in these same terms. Like, are we seeing too much of how the sausage gets made? Is this like a plan that he's always had that now that we're kind of seeing it in full, it feels a little more like sci-fi world building mm-hmm. than it feels like uh, the mystery of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. I, I I think at the end, well, maybe we should talk about this desert. Yeah, scene. let's talk about the desert then after scenes. That, and I I I think looking back at what we know he originally intended to happen and there were a lot of scenes last night that hooked up with it there's some clues as to whether he's doing that now and becoming indulgent or maybe overexposing the mythos and um going a bit too far in explaining things because honestly even even if it sounds silly what what you read the third season was originally supposed to be in the 90s I would have completely accepted it and loved it just because it would have been authentic. I would have felt like, yep, fire walk with me. And then the next one, and then we're a third series or whatever. Perfect. But now that it's 25 years later, maybe I'm slightly more able to say, oh, that's dumb because um, this reboot shouldn't have happened or you shouldn't get 25 years to suddenly work with CGI and um, George Lucas the shit out of your, yeah. your creation. Yeah, that's the last thing we want to have happen. We don't want it to be a George Lucas and, situation. And also, it's important that we don't leave, I think particularly when we're talking about these these uh, spacey elements, uh, it was Mark Frost pushing a lot of this towards the end of season two without as much input from David. Yeah. And then David, in a, in an essence that I'm sure was more collaborative than not, kind of hijacked it to, to finish off uh season two and then went and made fire walk with me without mark but yeah. this is also a second chance for mark who's also gleefully writing one book and then another that will come out after uh the return is finished yeah. airing to really indulge in the conspiracy stuff and the the ufo stuff and take these snippets from briggs talking about project blue book and suggested abductions and then play those out to the extremes mm-hmm. and 
it's great to see that we haven't ever gotten to a point where that seems to be too literal or easy to interpret thus suggesting i guess in like a way that like lynch is not part of the equation but if mark gets to put that whole story out there even if it's painted with with david's brush and shot with peter deming's lens and all this stuff mm. if it's too much of an alien story is that going to be satisfying like i doubt it in a way if it if it yeah. gets too close to being yeah only something you can interpret as like a supernatural or or cosmic gods battling it out story one thing, like one, one one reason why i i didn't really like the uh the episode with with the pink island and everything and the and getting up on the spaceship i mean i liked i, I liked it in isolation it was mm -hmm. very eraser head and it was cool but i always thought one of the most attractive and intoxicating things about twin peaks and the supernatural element of that show was that the the lodge was it like there wasn't a more traditional depiction of ghosts or heaven or uh, or hell or it was this waiting room and it was mm -hmm. this jazz and it was these people in red suits and it I'm sure it was limited at the time. Every time what, it veered away from that, it felt bad. You got Josie in a drawer pull. Yeah, I, I, I ironically <laughs> like Josie being turned into a piece of furniture, but yeah, that wasn't good. And so like that what was that's what was so original about it. And then and again, it, maybe if this had come out, all this stuff had come out immediately, and I felt like it was all a flawless execution of Lynch. I, I'd, I'd be, I'd be saying something totally different. But now, seeing it with all this eraserhead callback space and you know phonographs and weird shit, like I, I just feel like it's, it's, it did make me feel like it was ruining what was so pure in the aesthetic and interesting and original of the original aesthetic that. I'm sure was limited by what you could do visually in the nineties, but yeah. that was for the best. So what, what you're talking about, not only the worrying about Laura's character becoming too cosmic and weird and sci-fi. I also think the actual visual aesthetic, uh, is at it, risk it, of it becoming get away too, from us. Yeah. yeah it, it can get away. So we're, we're, we're concerned, but Hey, did you like that song? That's the first thing that that boy in uh, New Mexico, we fast forward, what is it, 11 years? Um, mm -hmm. August uh, 8th, 1956. Okay, cool. cool. Which is not a date with any significance in history. Mm. <laughs> We're glad you, glad you checked. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's the first thing that that boy says to the girl, and I guess we should just refer to them as the boy and girl. But do you think he means the Nine Inch Nails song? Because that's the first piece of dialogue we get after the Nine Inch Nails song. I hope it is. Um, that Nine Inch Nails song was a Woody Guthrie cover that <laughs> goes way back. Wow. Uh, David, he's, he's yep. on a whole nother level. Yep. Um, so many levels. Anyway, we, we get this. Woody Guthrie wrote it on Ambien. <laughs> it's, 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 it's strange to say like, oh, so this, this sequence that feels so much like Kubrick or Malick to us and then transitioning kind of gradually through some settings and, and with a character like the giant who are more familiar to us mm. and playing with silent film uh, aesthetics, like we're, we're slowly transitioning back to something more recognizably Lynch, but now we're just in 1950s quaint town uh, with a diner mm -hmm. and a radio station and so forth. In black and white. And it, you know what that feels like? The Twilight Zone. It's, it did feel very Twilight Zone. It's pretty yeah. Twilight Zone, except the Twilight Zone never had anything as scary as the woodsman. No. Um, 
basically we can talk about the what happens in the rest of this episode really yeah. quick because an egg hatches and something that looks like a cross between a frog and a moth crawls out it's very kafka mm-hmm. we hold on it for a long time mm-hmm. we get the woodsmen descending and they start basically causing havoc and our i guess lead woodsman starts asking people uh got a light mm-hmm. and boy and girl escort home there's an awkward kiss and i will say uh I'm going to look up the boy actor's name because he did a great little fucking, uh, I believe it's Zolo uh, Maraduena. Um, I hope I said that right. He does the best fucking awkward, like, I just kissed you for the first time, like, wave yep. as the girl goes up the stairs. I thought the girl was pretty good, too. They were, oh, they yeah. were both great. Yeah. Um, I just, that that wave, I felt like, I felt an extreme moment oh, of recognition there. I was re- like, I've been that boy. Relatable, yeah. Um, I was always cool, so I, <laughs> I, I didn't understand that. You were always James, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then the radio station, like, I guess maybe now we should ask, like, the question, what do we think the woodsmen are? And then I will talk about the who's playing the lead guy who starts reciting that poem over the airwaves. But what do we what do we think that their role is? I mean, they seem to come out of the sky 11 years after the atom bomb in the same place that the atom bomb was. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't even know how to like, they're all men. Mm-hmm. They're all in blackface. They're all dressed in this very specific. I don't I don't even know what to call it. Like bum esque way. Chimney sweep. Yeah. But it's very like it, it marked by class, which I think mm-hmm. is like a weird choice. Um, I don't know. And then they just descend upon this town. They see, yeah, they seem like the dregs of some kind of spiritual. And also in the to shoot back to the first part of the episode where they surround Cooper. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what they're doing? Maybe they're healing him. I mean, they clearly must be doing something to affect right. his recovery. But maybe they're healing him. Maybe they're feeding on the blood. I mean, they. Uh, it's not they, totally clear. But they seem like. To me, so, so I'll get into, like I said, I was like, I think I know kind of sort of what they are. They seem to me like, in a way, like lesser than like the Lodge spirits yeah. who we've seen mm-hmm. acting and talking and, and sort of having an effect. They seem more, with the exception of like the lead one who we meet in this episode, more like they're s- small time in, this, in terms of like uh, spirits, right? Like, yeah. Low on um, the food chain. Mm-hmm. And this relates then to what I was saying about the convenience store and the meeting we see in Fire Walk With Me is then we see two guys who look like this, but without the makeup on and, and so forth. Um, in Fire Walk With in Me. In Fire Walk With Me in yeah. the convenience store scene. And that got me wondering, like, if what we saw with the atom bomb and them crawling around the convenience store is their creation, and then we see one of them start to communicate and take action, in this case, to help whatever that bug thing is crawl into the girl's mouth at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like they could be the precursors to some of some of the lodge spirits we've seen, or they could be lesser sort of uh, parallels to Bob. But another thing that I'm convinced of without with what we have now is I'm convinced that we know from the secret history of Twin Peaks and from Hawk's whole like Black Lodge, White Lodge origin mm. story mm. Uh, given to us in what, season two? Like, that's been around way longer than the atom bomb has. Mm-hmm. So I'm convinced that, as, as of right now, that Bob isn't necessarily of the Lodge, which has always been a working assumption before, mm-hmm. but that Mike may either be a more developed version of one of these woodsman mm. ghosts mm-hmm. or 
completely like an, an actual genuine earthly origin lodge entity that mm-hmm. are now like having to interact with these interlopers on their plane. And that's just where I'm trying to think of because it's always been a problem for me how you can't necessarily put Mike and uh, Philip Gerard and the, you can't necessarily put them in the same box together yeah. without having problems, yes. especially once you add the giant into the mix. Well, as soon as you add the the uh, little red man as well, who's yeah, supposed to be him, from, yeah. but but not him, and he and, and whether he's the now the bad version of the him. Tremons, like the Tremons, could be of earthly origin, and these woodsmen could not be, or Bob could not be, and that starts to make things fall into place in terms of why they seem to act at odds with one another because. You would think that maybe that wouldn't be so antagonistic if they all had the same origin. Well, this is yeah. a perfect point to to um, regurgitate some history that I I Season very three sloppily prepared. Yeah, yeah, but um, I looked up, and I I had seen this before, but I looked up the original plans for season three that have been um, relayed by I guess mainly a guy named Bob Engels who was a writer on yeah. the original show. I believe he was the co-writer of I think it was, and he also wrote Firewalk with me yeah, with David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm just going to read straight from uh, this site that uh, condenses the interviews that, uh, that, that contain these details. In the third season's original plans, Bob and Mike were from a place or planet made of creamed corn, which moves backwards. They fell out with each other when Bob stole a can of corn and escaped, pursued by Mike. The chase began on December 31st, 1951, on the night of Eisenhower's inauguration, with insects and Garmin Bozia appearing on the presidential table when the <laughs> inauguration was stopped for half an hour. So Lynch originally wanted to have Bob and Mike's initial appearance on Earth due to a feud, <laughs> a corn feud. Uh, Over Eisenhower's inauguration. Fuck up 1950s America. And mm-hmm. also bring in insects. So that insect yeah. thing, I mean, clearly yeah. is that reaches back for a long, a long ways to what mm-hmm. Lynch was planning to do um, to continue the series yeah. after the second show. Um, there's some other stuff here. Maybe we should just leave it because it could have relevance. And yeah. I, I don't want to ever say anything that our fans might consider to be a spoiler. Mm-hmm. When we went to the set of season three, you and I, Ashley, we, we tried not to even say who we saw that day, right? Yeah, so, we still haven't seen. We still haven't seen that scene, though. No, we you still tell me seen that. what that. I'll tell. Is? We'll tell okay. you after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we might be in the background for all we know. Oh, we're not. Some people saw. No, some people from like that approximate angle, given that set, saw some people through a window. I'm gonna cut this whole thing. Anyway, uh, I I had my whole weird theory about like the the lodge inhabitants. Did the did the section with the the I mean. God, the gore in this section. Like Yeah, wait, let's go back real quick because the field that they that the woodsmen appear in um is the same place where they tested the atom bomb, but it's also where Jack Parsons went to summon his sex elemental, which is <laughs> a project that he and L. Ron Hubbard undertook together in sure. nineteen forty six, January nineteen forty six through March nineteen forty six. Um shortly thereafter this initial um Ceremony, he did meet Marjorie Cameron, who he decided was his sex elemental. Um, I tried to follow this thread. It did not lead me too many places. <laughs> um, Jack Parsons dies in 1952, as we know from The Secret History of Twin Peaks. I tried to follow Marjorie Cameron. She does not go back to White Sands, New Mexico after he dies. But there is this implication that after this sort of land has been charged with the testing of the atom bomb, there is this sort of like supernatural occultist 
power associated and with it. The mm-hmm. other uh, note with the atom bomb stuff is that uh, the Hanford nuclear facility in Washington, which depending on how you're actually trying to think of like where Twin Peaks exists in the state, should be a shortish drive away, like only, you know, a few hours at most. Like they refine nuclear uh, material there to be used in that atom bomb test. Yes. And that uh, land, this is real, um, for the Hanford nuclear site was taken uh, by the government from the Nez Pierce tribe, which is the tribe that we learn Hawk is a descendant of. And also it's the brand name of mm. the door that he finds the diary yeah. pages yes. in. And there's a section here in the secret history of Twin Peaks where the chief of the tribe at that time pens a letter uh, when the government takes the land and says like, for doing this, there will come a reckoning. There's, there are, it's actually, I'd say, there, there's not just like a page where it's just like describing the nuclear test, but stuff in the secret history of Twin Peaks revolves around the nuclear test in a yes. big way. Yeah, and Tammy's um, notations pretty much draw a connection between UFOs of American military origins, Project Paperclip, which was the mm-hmm. repurposing of Nazi scientists, mm-hmm. The atom bomb and it is all taking place in the White Sands, New Mexico. I, I love how like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, this sequence feels mm-hmm. only like much more uh, frightening and mm-hmm. with a lot more blood. Like, yeah, it's, it's although the way the way I also remember thinking that the way that he not that he kills the guy seems like he just grabs and pushes, pushes him against the chair. Head, yeah. But the way he seems to scrape off the woman's face is reminiscent of the first the monster, uh, monster scene. The so, box, yeah. you know, that could just be, you know, the way that all these fucking things kill people. But I mean, I thought that that was invoking the first scene we uh, we see people die, um, die in in the first. Yeah. Episode. yeah. Also, I just I just had a thought, which I'm. I just want to put this out there. I don't want to put the video editing work into it, but people have been doing great things with the clip of Gordon Cole saying, what the hell? Can someone please put James's song over the radio when everyone in town starts to collapse and fall asleep? That would be great. Please do that for me. And then at Twin Peaks Peaks on Twitter with that video. Thank you for doing that. Can I that. just say, I think he looks much better now than he did back then. Oh, James totally. Yeah. yeah. Someone was like, oh, he looks awful. I'm like, no, he looked awful in the show. He looked like a little, like a, like a troll doll, sort of like, <laughs> kind of like, a troll doll. like a really, like too, too handsome somehow or what, or not, 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 not handsome, but like, I don't know. He always disturbed me, but now yeah. he looks like, I don't know. He really, he really grew into himself. Actually, here's something. So I was thinking so much about like how we couldn't do any of our regular, like recurring bits with this episode, yeah. but is there a look of this episode? Can we just like, while, <laughs> while the iron's hot, like who had the best like outfit this episode? The, the. Lady, what's her name? Oh, uh, Senorita, Senorita. Uh, Dido. Uh, Very good. Yeah, that was a good look. Yeah. I would, I would. Be I have with a, that. I I'm not going to say genu- blackface was the best look. No, God, no. Jeez. I have a genuine look, which was the tambourine girl in the Nine Inch Nails. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, you yeah. Know what? Also, yeah, I will say Trent Reznor's look, runner up. He's, he's looking really good. He's yeah. looking good. Yeah. I did watch that again, and I was like, "What is she doing with her hair?" Because I want to do that with my hair. <laughs> so, so rank order, Dido. Uh, tambourine girl Trent Reznor yeah yeah okay all right cool <laughs> glad we got that out of the way a little levity um it, how how much were you creeped out both of you by the bug crawling into the girl's Ugh. mouth so creeped out like okay. this is like some legit body horror which hasn't I don't think 
I don't think we can say has happened. It wasn't that even much. so much yeah. the bug as the frog half where he's mm-hmm. like yes. lugging his frog ass into his her frog throat. Ass, yeah. That was that was pretty bad. I, I did uh, I mean, you know, you see it coming for a while, so I was kind of mm-hmm. ready, like, hey, it's gonna crawl into her mouth. But yeah. like Yeah. Um that has not happened in Twin Peaks no, before. It's, no. So no. that was and that's kind of what I mean, you know, like it was cool and I liked it, but I'm just like, um, is this and I know I sound like one of those fans who wants it to be exactly what you know, the 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 nostalgia. Right. Like, is this fucking Twin Peaks or or is this something perfectly good but not to do with what I wanted. I mean, with people's frustrations about the the special effects earlier in this run so far, where they're like, "Wow, did they spend no money on this?" Like sh- showing you things through through cheap means. Like in the old show, if they hadn't had the technology or the money, they might have shown this a totally different way, which you sure. would have had mm-hmm. to interpret as like, "Oh, you know, maybe like a cheap video effect overlay of like someone entering someone's body, right?" Yeah. But, but here you get to just sit in it. But like I said before, I, I maybe I'm a purist, but I just, you know, and again, this links up both my aesthetic purism and, and also wishing that all of this could have happened and when he had his full toolkit, uh, because I just would much prefer seeing this play out where you could just see Cooper flicker between Cooper and Bob mm. instead of a blob yeah. coming out of his stomach with Bob's face inside. Like, we yeah. know he has to do that, not because he really wants to, but because he has to, because he can't. Although maybe he could. I really love that scene when he's looking in the mirror and they yeah. actually mutate Frank Silva's face. That, yeah. that was the first time that I was, okay, maybe the show can still be yeah. doing what I, I was hoping it would do. Yeah. But this, but some of this stuff, like the frog, I don't know. I'm pretty agnostic on it. Mm. Um, pro-frog, anti-frog. I'm pro-frog, and this is going to be my last, oh, this reminds me of another thing, comment. Okay. Guillermo del Toro's Pants Labyrinth yeah. is what the yeah. frog reminds me of, which I liked because it felt real and it felt like magical and kind of fantastical. And it also, I, I don't know, the girl that the frog was crawling into reminds me of Ophelia yeah. from that film in a certain fairies way. fairies that were in that movie with the wings. Yeah, um, which is, it's very that's a very good movie. It's a very interesting movie in terms of like playing with good and bad and like fantasy. Yeah. Um, but like, where where is this going? Yeah. So, question <laughs> round the table: Who or what do we think the 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 frog moth is? I'm saying Bob. That's my. That's interesting. That's my oh. instinct. But we did see the eggs as a separate piece of we did vomit right. from his. I just face. wonder if that would be like just to tell us that someone... Bob is one of them, like a, a visual shorthand. But I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point, Ashley. No, that's the best point that okay. I've heard so far. Some people online are convinced uh, that it's Laura, and I just don't understand why the woodsman ghosts would go on a rampage and and make people pass out to enable Laura's entry into the world as like a spirit entity. No. And some people think that the girl could be Sarah Palmer, which at least in terms of Sarah's listed birth date would line up, but I don't think this girl looks like or reminds me of Grace Sabrisky for in her some, performance for, at all. For a second when I wasn't really paying attention and it wouldn't have made any sense because I think this clashes with Leland's account of the story. For a second I thought we were seeing when they were, he's walk when that guy, the, the girl and the guy walking that yeah. this was young him and he was going to see a guy named Robert. I'm like, no, that doesn't happen in New Mexico. So no, no, matter. that happens out at Pearl Lake. But that's a good. But that that's a good theory peaks. about how it's Bob. I mean, Bob was could be an owl, right? In the original series, couldn't he become could, an owl? Like hitch a ride on owls, yeah. So maybe yeah. he could be a little animal. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like the moment you start thinking about like, what if Bob just like had a physical form? I start like retching because I'm like, no, I don't like that idea in terms of like actualizing no, yeah. some of the like. Uh, more 
inaccessible mythology of the show. This is going to send us way over time, so we can't. So I'm I'm not going to send us into it. But I, I do. I I'm really one thing I'd really love to crack is particularly through Mike what the what the deal is with these lodge entities and and whether they're physical and whether they're like because you know Bob and Mike look like you know he's got a fucking People, denim jacket yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. so when like he get a denim jacket but but, but Mike's more interesting because like Bob is just the evil spirit thing mm-hmm. yes. it's not like there was a guy named Bob or something else who then got visited by something dark sometimes Philip Gerard is a he he looks like Mike in the lodge but he's Philip Gerard in real life who sometimes is inhabited by Mike this could have just been honestly yeah. some like you know David Lynch trying to do a lot and not have to really explain why every single spiritual implication of his mythology works out. But like, then, you know, is Philip Gerard good now because he's not attached to the arm? Is he... Well, he saw the face of God. He saw the face of God. Was right. that a lie? Is he mm-hmm. working his own angle? And Fire Walk With Me, I, I think it seems pretty clear. Yeah. He's yeah. mainly after Garmabozia and he's only been in a couple scenes of this. He's been in a, a, a couple beefy ones, but some scenes of this new one. So I would love to find out more about yeah like you say i mean were these guys originally fucking frogs with wings i don't know but um yeah um let me make sure that i don't have any other big questions on this list here and i will cut any that don't seem that relevant okay we don't know who the girl is we don't know who or what the bug is but um we we gotta talk about the the one other connection with the frog moths and the penny and the guy who plays the main woodsman, um, because the guy who plays the woodsman who recites that poem, uh, this is the water and this is the well, that guy is an Abraham Lincoln impersonator first and foremost. That mm-hmm. is his trade, <laughs> mm. which I would love either version of this where either. David knows he wants to cast a Lincoln impersonator in this role, or they write the scene as the girl picks up the lucky penny first, and then they cast a Lincoln impersonator, and he goes like, this is cosmic, this is meant to be. Um, But there's also, and sorry to whoever posted this on the Reddit as I was like blearily scrolling through last night because I couldn't fall asleep, go watch this video that was included as a bonus on the Inland Empire DVD where David Lynch makes quinoa. And I was like, all right, I'm down to watch this, even if it doesn't have any relevance. Um, And it's great, because the first 10 minutes are David just talking about how great quinoa is and telling you like what to set the uh, temperature at and about his great pot that he loves to cook quinoa in. But then he sits down while it's cooking, and he starts telling a story about when he was on a train ride through, I believe, Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. At one point, the train stops. Uh, He gets off the train, and there's uh, a stand set up in on this like dusty like strip of like there's nothing else just a stand and there's a guy at the stand who's selling sugar water not soda just like colored sugar water in all different colors in bottles and david remembers taking a shiny copper coin and giving it to this guy getting some paper money back in return and getting his sugar water but he like breaks out of like just telling about this transaction at one point to comment on how dusty and fucked up it is on the just like mm. it's just like you know this train route there's nothing else mm-hmm. there but this guy's stand and he maybe I'll drop it in here but he talks about the the wind whipping up the dust and these bugs flying around and he's like there's these moths these frog moths and so oh he literally says he literally frog says moths. frog moths oh, which is also like literally outdoors. What, 
and for uh, the smallest amount of money, you could get a bottle of this sugar water. So I gave the man there in this small tent, moths were flipping and flying and like frogs. Frog moths were pulling themselves out of the earth and flying up in front of the stand. Dust was blowing. It was like a, a, a mysterious, strange wind sound. And out came a tiniest little copper coin that I'd gotten somewhere, and I gave it to this man. I gave the man the coin. He gave me a bottle of, I don't know if I got... Thank you, whoever like remembered this. It was me. That was actually my <laughs> was actually, discovery. Thank you, so. Brendan, uh, yeah. for remembering this obscure bonus on the Inland Empire DVD because it's there's no way you can watch that and yeah. scene and then see this description that David tells and you. And we like, know that he originally wanted insects to play a part in some like, eventual, which is very biblical plague. Yeah, yeah. He wanted. I mean, to... the, both locusts and yep. frogs in one thing. That's like a little bit on the nose, really. They're one. Assuming he's not bullshitting here, he wanted to incorporate this like experience he had into his art in a in a major way at one point, and I'd say he's finally uh, done it. And also, it's the most Kafka fucking thing I've ever seen it's on screen. Dream, and I Kafka. love it for that reason alone. Um, that's my last comment. Mm -hmm. Quinoa video. Just search David Lynch Quinoa on YouTube. Any any other thoughts? We've gone so long, and I don't know how well I'll cut this because there's been a lot to talk about. Ashley, any any other notes you had? No, I mean, I just like as we've been talking, I've been thinking about Eisenstein's theory of montage and how like meaning is made in film by the juxtaposition of images. And I mm -hmm. think ultimately like that is what this episode is about is the juxtaposition of images and the meaning that we draw as viewers just through that juxtaposition. And I think like based on how the series has been going so far, those connections are going to get more explicit in the next few episodes. Maybe we'll be right. Maybe we'll be wrong. Like maybe we'll like the fact that we'll get detail. Maybe we won't, mm. but I really like sitting in kind of the visceral feeling that this episode like brings about. If it, it like physically felt really good to watch this episode. Mm -hmm how engaged and caught up in it I was 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 that's something that I don't think television reaches all yeah. that often or for mm -hmm. such sustained yeah. periods of time because there's ideas of pacing or putting in ad breaks and all this yeah. stuff that also it's not fair there's no ad breaks here yeah. Um, yeah I I will also say so I've been living with a lot of people for the past like month and this is the mm -hmm. only episode where people have watched me watch this show and it was so difficult to explain <laughs> what was going on. Oh my like my uncles were making these comments like, oh, I'm sure it like makes sense in the context of the show because they know that I do this podcast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> not, really. <laughs> not really. Not really. Not uh, really. Brendan, any, any other closing thoughts? I mean, uh, I wanted to ask you, but we've gone so over time, like mm -hmm. how you initially got into Lynch to try and crack like but I feel like we've already gone over, you know, well, it's what simple. Your just make are. me a co-host permanently and then I'll just I'll just tell you every time. Uh, I mean, if we can start getting some Patreon money, <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, uh, uh, I don't think I'd have a completely interesting story to tell you anyway. I mean, was, I, was it Twin Peaks at first? That was no, mine. no. It was actually that that professor I couldn't remember okay. before uh, who showed me um, Eraserhead when I was in high school. And taught me it was OK to be weird. Uh, and, then, <laughs> right. uh, and then I just I, I think uh, went. And skipped around a bunch of his movies. I didn't see Twin Peaks until way later. Okay. So, and my favorite, and probably the first one after Eraserhead was Lost Highway. Uh, yeah. And and then I was pretty hooked. Um. So, 
but Twin Peaks has definitely become one of my favorite things he's ever done. As far as last night's episode, I think that it was worth it for the um, for that uh, bomb scene. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like genuinely a uh, really beautiful and perfectly executed piece of um, of TV or of art. And as far as the broader feeling about the episode and the series, you know, I'm I'm again I'm I'm intrigued enough that I'm not just being cranky about the fact that yeah. it's on. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm honestly really hoping we can get off of Agent Cooper being a doddering silent movie dipshit, uh, <laughs> for, for very much longer. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can get off of that and that some of this deeper, more interesting stuff that was hinted at in last night's episode becomes not overexposed yeah. and and lame but like more integral to every single show one of one of the things that i felt made when i said like oh it was fun to see the the reaction to this one for the first time since it, it, it started up was uh the people going well you said you wanted less dougie and now <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> look what you I'll got. take this over yeah yet another I, I, also my prediction is that the the i mean we're so we're gonna have a break the next week and actually mm-hmm. ashley you and i talked about this are we still good thumbs up we're committed we're committed all right we're gonna do in the interim listeners next week we're gonna do an episode finally on the secret diary of laura palmer something that we didn't get around to in our long hiatus so Ashley and I will be back next week to discuss that at the regular time you've become accustomed to. Um, I expect when we come back after the July 4th holiday, we might get another episode in like 50s New Mexico. I think that would be the perfect way to just like, all right, you thought like, okay, you thought we were only going to get you with one episode, right? Part seven, you think, okay, we're building. There's less Dougie. There's the most twin piece we've gotten and part eight. And then I think a week Passes, no Twin Peaks, part nine, mm-hmm. more of this black and white stuff. I wouldn't be surprised. And so also that means it's not going to happen the way I just said it would. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think we're one thing we glossed over that will play out in the next episode is what does the black and white mean? Mm. Is this mm-hmm. just an mm-hmm. affectation of the era or mm-hmm. is this demarking different realities, different timelines? Good I don't point. know. Who, yeah. who knows? That will become clear later. It's both black and white in that era and also in that weird pink planet inside of whatever yeah. we were in. And that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and well, it wasn't before. What? Okay. Uh, this has been Twin Peaks Peaks. Uh, Brendan, thank you for joining us. Uh, do, do your plugs and then we'll do our plugs and we'll wrap this thing up. Um, no, I'd, uh, everyone should uh, listen to uh, this show. Which they already are, and I don't <laughs> want to talk about my show at all. Okay, yeah, uh, I, we mentioned at the top of the show. Just damn, uh, this is like watching a uh, Chapo Trap out. House. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You no, know, listen to Chapo if if you if you if you're into that kind of thing. Yeah, um, um, is it fair to say if it's an acquired taste? Uh, it's not as acquired as we thought because it's, <laughs> it's taken it's, off yeah. a bit. But uh, yeah, you know, just try it. I don't know. Just I don't try care. it. Uh, I'm Matthew Olson. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Matthew Olson. Uh, I'm gonna pull a move. I pull on my other podcasts and say spell it right you should know at this point how my name is spelled it's not spelled normal uh my other shows can you get to that i do it with my friend caitlin best we've been on a bit of a hiatus but that show just turned two years old so we should record another one soon it's a wikipedia racing podcast where we just shoot the shit and yeah i have a lot of fun making it so it'll be back soon but we've got plenty of old episodes to to listen to the show's twitter again it's 
at Twin Peaks Peaks, spelled like the show. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, rating and reviewing, that helps other people find us. That'd be great. And I'll say thank you once again to Cole Hamilton for doing our amazing podcast artwork. Uh, you can find his oh, it's work great. at colehamilton.com. That's C-O-L-L Hamilton, spelled the way you'd think. That's it for me. Ashley. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt. And if you like listening to me talk about TV, you might like The K-Hole, my Keeping Up with the Kardashians podcast. Matt was on an episode recently and coming up, we have the season 13 finale, which was a lot of fun to record. And we're going to be back for the life of Kylie in August. I'm curious, did any bombshells actually, because I watched the episode right before the season 13 finale. So I do kind of want to know, like, what's the what's the draw? (laughs) What happened in Kardashian Um, land? Actually, that episode was setting up some news that they announced like IRL in real time, like two weeks after the show, namely the fact that Kim hired a surrogate for her third child. Oh, okay, Yeah. Was that you said there was a there was a whole plot line where like uh, Kim's mom was like, I could still have babies. Was that that foreshadowing? (laughs) No, no. There's so much foreshadowing of this. But which of the two shows and and podcasts you work on for them is is more um, is is more difficult to, to sort of unpack and get to the bottom of? Well, you think about the real life machinations. I did one of these episodes, Brendan. And the real life stuff that you have to incorporate into the fictional reality of the Kardashians. Is well, a- David Lynch writes that show too. <laughs> yeah. So right, exactly. I know that it's very, very right, involved. This, this has been Twin Peaks Peaks, Ashley. I think I know what you're going to close out our episode with. I don't know with. what I'm closing with, but. Okay. <laughs> this is the water and this is the well. 